In this episode on how to be the best dog parent, I welcome Dr. Peter Tobias. We discuss the processes you should go through before getting a dog or puppy and how you can identify the type of dog that may be best suited to you and your current circumstances. We also talk about the importance of giving your puppies the right amount of exercise and how this changes as they get older. This podcast also includes a number of deeper discussions, including the importance of continued learning and the key lessons we can take from our dogs to live a healthier and happier life. But this podcast is about so much more than how to start and raise our dogs in the most natural way possible to optimise their health and happiness. It's about the special bond between dogs and their humans and how much we can learn from each other. I've wanted to speak to Dr. Peter Tobias for years because he's been an inspiration to me for so long. Why? Because he's learned from his veterinary practice what to do and what not to do to optimise our dog's health and happiness. Dr. Tobias also provides so many resources in the form of blogs, free training and an amazing range of natural supplements to provide our dogs and us humans with the best support possible to cope with today's modern challenges. But what I loved about my talk with Dr. Peter more than anything is that he truly walks his talk. Looking after his own health and that of his beloved Pax, he's on a continued journey of learning and sharing to make the world a better place for all dogs and their humans. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as we did, and please do leave questions and comments below so that I can see if Dr. Bias would join us for part two. So sit back, enjoy with an open mind, and stay curious, stay free. Well, I could not be more delighted today with my guest today. So I am going to introduce all my listeners to the amazing Dr. Peter Tobias. Now, Peter, I'm just going to read out your bio first because it's a beautiful bio. Um, Peter has over 30 years of experience as a veterinarian. He has a background in both holistic and conventional veterinary medicine, animal homeopathy and natural nutrition. In 2008, he sold his thriving holistic veterinary practice in North Vancouver, Canada, to pursue his passion for educating the public about disease prevention and natural treatment methods. His goal is to help dog lovers create a healthy and long life for their canine friends naturally. His supplements and other products are made from all natural human-grade ingredients that are certified organic where possible. And obviously, all your links about where people can connect you to will be given below the video. And Peter, first and foremost, I want to say thank you so much for coming and speaking to myself and my audience today, because all my audience are passionate animal lovers. But I have been your biggest fan (laughs) for almost since you started. And anyone who's ever had a consult with me knows that in their report, they get links to all your information because you have got not only the best natural products for dogs, but also such a wealth of information available for people. So a big, big welcome for me. Thank you so much, Catherine. I really appreciate it. I think that uh, the work that you do is amazing that you bring everyone together and and, uh, also help animal lovers and and people around the world. I really appreciate you um, taking the time and and inviting me. And uh, I feel really grateful for for being here so thank you (laughs) thank you well my listeners are going to get to know you for those of you that don't already know peter um you're going to get to know peter really well today so we're going to start off getting to know you a bit more and then we're going to move on to really help everyone who's listening to really have some practical um advice for people about how they can start their puppies as naturally as possible but all of the advice that we're giving today and the recommendations are going to be equally applicable to any dog at whatever age they are. Because one of the biggest messages I want to get across is it's never, never too late to make improvements for ourselves and our animals in our care. But what what got you into your love of animals, Peter? Going back to your childhood, did you always have animals in your life? Yeah. So, you know, um, I grew up, I'm one of of four children. Uh, I'm number three. 
my dad was a veterinarian. Uh, my he was convention a conventional veterinarian, and my grandfather was a herbalist. Um, so I've always been able to kind of witness the the two uh, different system systems. And then the first animal that we had, well, we had several animals because my dad obviously he was a vet. So we just kind of you know we brought them on. Um, we the, the the most memorable ones uh, was our dachshund, who was my fifth sibling or or my dad called her the daughter his favorite daughter <laughs> actually <laughs> i shouldn't say that but it's true and then we had a little a little vietnamese pig uh, that uh was rescued and my mother actually was very fond of him and uh i remember one thing i remember that uh you know it was cold and she needed to warm it up because they're very sensitive to cold and so i remember that he was close to the oven but he wasn't in the oven he was close <laughs> to the oven so he's warm so that's that's the first kind of experience with animals and then then um our parents were busy and my parents were busy so um they put us into a riding club and i grew up in the eastern block um, and it was very cheap to ride so it was like an equivalent of a dollar every six six months to pay and and they had free babysitting so as uh you know when we turned 10 11 with my younger sister we basically spent all our times around horses and um it was a great experience but at the same time it was also a very painful experience because uh we saw the horses getting ill they didn't always get the care that uh that they needed uh the stables weren't really nice and um Obviously, all the horses were owned by the government organization and so on. So it was very different. But one of the horses, I, I fell in love. Her name was Alpha, but she, she wasn't really Alpha. She was just a lovely, lovely, lovely horse. And she had tendonitis. And I witnessed um, her being ill and unwell. And uh, she also was ridden when she wasn't supposed to be ridden, when she was limping. And I remember the kind of sense of despair over what was happening so you know that kind of made me want to help animals there's always a, a story behind it right the the personal connection mm -hmm. when i went to vet school you you get to i i actually didn't get to vet school the first year around and i worked at the veterinary college and uh there i got an experience of the laboratory setting and laboratory animals and uh, and mice and rats and horses and rabbits and and that was very traumatic as well. Like I still have memories and kind of nightmares of what, what was going on with the laboratory animals. And I knew that if I basically left that environment that I wouldn't really be able to help. So I kind of survived somehow. And then he learned, you know, the basics and conventional medicine, of course, and drugs and how every disease has a protocol. And then you get to uh, the practice and you realize that many of these drugs actually harm animals and that they don't really work as well or they don't work at all and for one drug that you give you have to give three more drugs to to correct the symptoms that the side effects that these drugs cause so yeah so that's <laughs> and i always knew as a as a human as a as a growing growing up human being that 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 natural healing is somehow better and i saw it with my grandpa and he was an amazing herbalist and he taught me about herbs and and uh and uh i also suffered from from very severe allergies when i was a teenager i was not able to breathe through the nose for 6 months out of the year so um when i was 19 20 i started kind of looking into different books and started reading i didn't know know what made me or who made me probably the the allergies but I kind of cured my allergies, my hay fever, uh, just through diet and through uh, following some of this advice. And it was really interesting. So, and then I moved to Canada and everything got canceled. I mean, like I became conventional again because I had to pass my board exams and, you know, and, and suddenly I was one of the largest sellers of dog kibble in the province right like i'm embarrassed for it about it now but i also want to say to everyone that that it's never too late and we all have our evolutionary process so anyway that's absolutely fascinating and i can identify with a lot of that i mean as a biologist i was absolutely traumatized by the lab experiments and 
at university, I used to get myself into a lot of trouble because I used to sneak back later on and release a lot of the mice and rats into the local woodland. I don't know how many of them survived, but I, I did get myself into quite a lot of trouble doing that. But it was worth it and the frogs and things. But I think you've hit on a really, really important point there about that, you know, we all make decisions because everyone watching this, you know, we live in a society where we can talk for hours about the whys, but where we are um, almost brainwashed into ridiculous decisions when we sort of when that light bulb moment goes off to it. So for me, I find it quite fascinating that as a species, we even need nutritionists. Every animal in nature knows how to feed itself. And the beauty of the fact of when you let animals start to make decisions for themselves. I mean, I love herbs. I'm absolutely passionate about herbs and things. I do something called zoopharmacognosy, animal self-medicating. Um, but I think it's important that when people are watching this and we go through the conversation today, that we don't blame ourselves for poor decisions. Because when you know better, you do better. And I look back at some of the decisions I've made for some of my animals and I absolutely cringe, but at the time I thought I genuinely thought I was doing the best thing for them. So, I mean, your impact of your grandfather being a herbalist, that is absolutely wonderful that in your childhood you had these two very, very diverse, but equally important influences on you. And, and obviously that's had a big impact on shaping where you are now. It has, and you know, it gave me the opportunity to kind of compare. But I've always been really curious and a little bit of a, I'm just going to use the word disturber when it comes to, I, I never really like to follow protocol. So whenever something doesn't work or didn't work, I started to look elsewhere and started to kind of use more common sense. And uh, the healing system that we use now, or I've kind of uh, developed and, and we call healing cycle, um, is really simple. And, and and when I talk to some of my clients and, and my team and, and so on, we we kind of... I'm perplexed. It is so simple. The, the the natural principles of healing are so simple. And it is so surprising how very few people kind of understand it. And I think that what happened with the medical system, obviously, it has been hacked. Um, and, mm -hmm. uh, and people have lost the ability to because we are so used to the status quo, that people don't even question when they go to the doctor, they expect the doctor to prescribe some medication. They don't question often enough. And uh, um, as I'm getting older, I see many of my classmates and friends kind of like being in that mindset because, you know, they don't work in medicine or they don't, they have not had the blessing and opportunity to see, see what, what can be done. And it is very painful and frustrating. And also with dogs like and, and other animals, you see what is being done to them. And 80% um, in my mind, 80% of the medical conditions that, that we deal with could be either prevented or treated or helped significantly without any use of drugs. And I'm not necessarily saying that it, it has to be like medication is needed sometimes. Yeah. And you, I'm not one of those orthodox people who say, you know, I would never take any medication, but it can be reduced dramatically. I would say 80, 90% reduction is easy. And the problem is that when you see how much money drug companies and pet food companies make, um, reduction of their business by 80, 90% would be an absolute disaster. So the marketing machine and the kind of, we as humans are very, our mind is open to the messages that are being sent to us and whatever we are being told, uh, we start believing. And, and unless we are kind of rebellious a little bit or curious or have some sort of life experience that is very traumatic or life altering, and then we go, Oh my goodness, this, you know, it has to be different or has to be changed. We just go with the, with, with what we are told. And it's very, it's very, it's, it's frustrating, actually. That's the right word. It's frustrating to see. And at the same time, I know that there, there are many things that I don't know and will be learning until I drop dead. Hopefully not not soon, but you yeah. know, there's still a lot of learning to be done. <laughs> I think but, that's the great thing is this ongoing, you know, every day we can learn and make better decisions. And the beauty I find of those of us that are lucky enough to share our lives with our dog friends or cat friends or guinea pigs or horses, whatever it might be, 
they're so forgiving, aren't they, Peter? You know, they 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 don't sit there and say, well, I wish you'd find this out a year ago. They're like, thank you, let's all move on. And we have so much to learn from them from that attitude. Oh, uh, you know, every time I look at my dog, I go, how is it possible that a species has evolved that that far? How is it possible that that in so many aspects we should be learning from them and need to learn from them and need to almost copy them in the way they are. Um, I, I like many things in, in animals. I, I love the direct communication of, I, I'm going to talk dogs. Is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, I love the direct uh, communication. Like, you know, when they're happy, when they're upset, they definitely are extremely forgiving, which is uh, one of the qualities that we humans are having trouble with. And um, and also just knowing what is important in life, you know, hanging out with with uh, with with friends and and have fun and enjoy nature. They're just so perfect. Like it's really hard to. And if they're not perfect, it's it's often because we humans have messed them up. Whether it's through um, traumatizing them or not allowing them to be animals not allowing them to sniff other dogs not allow them to to be with other dogs and with their friends um and they suffer and then they may turn unhappy depressed or aggressive and 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 yeah i see that a lot there's so much to talk about oh there's so much to talk about yeah honestly uh it, there really is and i think you know what we're going to be get well well, let's get on to the nitty gritty of of when people get a puppy before before someone gets whether it's a puppy or an adult dog they're bringing into their lives. What are some of the key things, Peter, that you would encourage people to do their homework on first? Because a lot of people, particularly in the lockdown, I don't know what it's like. I know you share your time between a few different locations, but in the UK. We've had so many people at the start of the lockdowns went out and got dogs and they knew nothing about how to raise a dog successfully. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so we've had a lot of disastrous consequences from that. So in an ideal situation, we'd encourage people to do their homework beforehand. Where would you want people to start with that? I think that the, the first kind of um, exploration has to start with us. Um, do we want a dog because... Um, other people are getting dog. Do we want a dog because we are temporarily lonely? Do we want a dog because we want to solve some personal challenges and issues? I think that we really need to be ready for parenting, for parenthood. Like I think that it's it equals to having a child, even though it's slightly different. I think every dog, every cat, every every pet deserves to have a good home. And people think that maybe I get a dog sitter, maybe I get um I get um, someone else to look after them when I'm going on holidays and so on. It doesn't really work that way. They suffer when they don't have at least two walks a day. And I'm just going to say yeah. two, good, uh, two good hours a day plus. Uh, they suffer when they're alone. Um, they, you know, I, I think there are some solutions to that. If um, people are working and they can't be at home with their dog all the time, maybe there's an older lady or a gentleman who can take their dog and they would be, you know, they, they don't want to have their own dog because they're senior and they're worried that these dogs would be left behind. But there's some solutions. The the other thing that, that I think is um, kind of important to look at is... Uh, budget and, yeah. and see whether we can afford to feed our pets well whether we can afford to either get insurance for them and i would always re recommend insurance or if not uh whether our budget would allow an emergency of let's say five ten thousand pounds because it can happen right um <laughs> i've been there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um there is a misperception and many rescue organizations and many, uh, many dog shelters uh, misperceive that dogs, happy dogs have to be, have to have a backyard, which yeah. is not true. Dogs are denning animals. They like to be together with their humans and with other dogs. And when they're taken out, they can't be in a condo in a, in a small bachelor suite and they're absolutely fine. It's more about how engaged they are, how much exercise they get and so on. So that's one part, just kind of looking at the, you know, at, at our living condition. And I also recommend 
people to really inquire whether emotionally they're ready to care for someone else mentally whether they're they have the capacity at that moment they may be going through trauma which is mm. not a bad thing to get a dog but they have to be ready to be there for their pet or have a backup um in a family and making sure that the backup the dog is familiar with with, with the rest of the friends in the family so if something happens uh they can step in um also last will it's super important that uh, you know i kind of talking about that but it's it's super important to have an arrangement for their pets so all these are thoughts that people should just kind of put on the list and 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 solve the next one is also uh whether they choose um rescue dog which is always preferred um or a breed and i um some people actually inquire why i got a purebred dog I, I i i tried so hard to get a rescue border collie and and i wanted to get a puppy and i'll tell you later about that because we need to train him for well i can tell you now we need to train him for uh helping me with my sleepwalking because when i was in my mid-20s i actually sleepwalked through glass door and almost died I almost bled out because i got arteries on my leg so um Every dog that I get needs to be trained in a proper way to turn on the lights, uh, stop me when I sleepwalk or if I sleepwalk and so on. So we try to get a rescue border collie puppy going back to the breeds and, and rescue versus purebred. Uh, we tried to get a rescue uh, border collie and we found one in Oregon and I was in Europe at that time. Um, the rescue organization approved us after a week of back and forth and then they said that they wouldn't reserve the dog. Wow. And so I said, I would fly, you know, nine time zones. And then you're telling me that he would not even reserve the dog for me to. And so we basically just found a really lovely veterinary technician who had three puppies here. And I said, I can't stand it anymore. You know, it's it's quite it's quite strange how some of the rescue organizations, how inflexible they become and they forget about the well-being of the animals. And it's more about the rules and 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 bylaws or whatever they create yeah um, they forget about the fact that yeah someone may not have a backyard but they are absolutely perfect or they don't inquire about monetary needs but it's someone with a house and backyard will get a dog um recently and and i hope it's okay that i'm derailing but recently we had an experience where our friends who had a previously rescued dog that we fostered and they adopted 20 years back amazing dog parents and we tried to bring a dog from the rocky mountains from alberta canada to them and they basically insisted that the whole family including the the, the son that is at the university the husband who traveled and the the wife would arrive on the location and absolutely this dog will not be if one person comes the dog is not going with them so there's I know I, I'm so with you, Peter, because I've worked with a lot of rescue organizations and I, I do understand the challenges they're under with staff shortages and the burden of responsibility. However, I do agree that there's a lot of devastating decisions being made both ways where really wonderful home environments are being missed, but equally where dogs with what I would call more special needs like mine have had um you know are put with people that just haven't got the experience to do it so my current uh, all my animals are rescues but when I had young children I had Labrador rescues and I've always grown up with Labradors I know the breed incredibly well um they were an amazing I couldn't have had my current two dogs who are absolutely adorable in every way but I needed to be at a certain stage of both competence and knowledge but also have the home circumstance where I could give them the secured home needs that they needed. So I do think it's a really sad. And it's one thing that I'm really passionate about is how we can help share this information with rescue organizations to help give them the, you know, a different perspective of ways of looking at things. And, you know, it's all well intended. And I actually think that people who uh, rescue pets and animals and, and uh, do this work are, 
incredible and they're angels in many ways. But you know what happens? Sometimes even the best intention may end up with not the best results. And and we all know that. We all have been there. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, this is not to this is not to talk negatively about uh the process, but it's to actually have a conversation. I, I'm a big believer that conversation has to happen and the conversation that is not you know that is open and 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 people listen to each other and try to try to try to see their points and try to try to try to exchange opinions and then eventually it'll end up in in a positive way as opposed to me thinking that that we are against each other if we have a different opinion it's so important and and you know for so many people will choose a dog based on looks alone without understanding the needs of, because obviously different dog breeds yes, yes. different environments and do have, you know, and if you're taking on a rescue that's been traumatised, you're going to need to have um, different tools in your toolkits to, to deal with that and help the dog settle more. So it is really important that people just get away from just the physical side of things and really understand what they're taking on to become a pet parent. Absolutely. So going into breeds and fashions and fads and all that, dogs are not, or pets are not a purse. They're not a car. They're not an accessory. And I've seen that. I could name you exactly the decades or the, the periods where a certain breed was popular and then it's another one and another one. And these dogs suffer um, not only from being adopted by unaware people, but also because they usually become inbred and yeah. uh, become more disease prone, or they can't breathe because their noses are too short, or their airways are collapsing, and so on. And and they have multitude of of really serious problems that sometimes ends with very severe propensity to cancer or to shorten lifespan. Uh, many breeds are like that. Um, so uh, I, I love, actually, I, I think that the best dogs are really mutts when, when it yeah. comes to, and, it, and they can have a certain, uh, they can have a certain characteristic. They may be border collie crosses or there can be boxer crosses. There can be poodle crosses. But again, when <laughs> our society is so focused on the looks that people yeah. like say, I think dogs actually came to teach us one more lesson that that we should really focus on our soul and the energy. You know how dogs are drawn to good people and suddenly they're afraid of someone and we don't yeah. really know why, but they know why. And um, I wrote a little piece just some time ago about the fact that 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 wrinkles and aging are a sign of happiness or the looks are really like they're just I sometimes feel even strangely not negative, but not as good about the fact that I feel it's unfair actually that my dog, because he's uh, he happened to be nice color and he's happy and so on, and he attracts people because of the coloring, I think, or because of his body language. But it's unfair that some other dogs that have, let's say, don't have that benefit and the advantage, are not as they don't get the opportunity to be socialized or be a socially included. And um, I find it very strange. And I think that it does exist, obviously, in in human in between among humans, but also it exists, racism does exist in uh in between breeds. And and uh, yeah, it's interesting. It is very interesting to see because I think the energy of of obviously dogs are so sensitive to energy. They can read energy so much better than any human I've sort of known. And in fact, they can pick up how people are responding to them. So if someone's got a cute little fluffy dog running towards them, even if they're really badly behaved, they might react differently to that to say if they've got a great big pit bull or yes. German shepherd. And and the dogs will pick up on that so powerfully from such a distance. So it's a big thing, isn't it? It's complicated. I think that we could talk for three hours about breeds and, and, uh, and, and what's happening on that level. But um, yeah. But doing your research is absolutely crucial because, you absolutely. know, absolutely. absolutely. You, most people completely underestimate the amount of exercise that a dog needs and a human to stay mm. healthy and the type of exercise because they need to be allowed to move and interact as a dog moves and interacts. And, you know, a walk 
on the harness around the block for, for housing stage is not going to do it for most dogs or most humans. Do you want to talk a bit about that, Peter? Because that's crucial oh, again when people get dogs to understand what they need and how much exercise they can and can't have at certain ages, for example. Oh, uh, okay. Why don't we just start with the with with the adult dogs first, uh, yeah. and then we move on to puppies because you wanted to you wanted to talk about puppies anyway, and how to you know how to what to do after after a puppy comes in a house if it's an adopted puppy. So um, I agree with you hundred percent that dogs can get enough exercise on the leash. And our society in many places, I think UK is one of the best places in yeah. the world dogs um the same in prague and czech republic very dog friendly country canada is somewhere in between where the leash laws are so restrictive where dogs often don't get a chance to be off the leash and we cannot basically exercise i mean yes, some dogs can jog with people um some people overdo it by trying to make dogs running behind a bike or something which is really horrible and the extremes that i've seen is that people actually get uh, their dog to some sort of field road and sit in a truck and drive and the dog is trying to catch up with them which is in my mind criminal offense yeah. uh but going back to the leash so um i think that there there's several different kind of ideals that i i would love to kind of help to implement and one of them is that dogs every dog and every place has off-leash places but not these ghettos where there's a fence a fence little area for dogs mm -hmm. to uh, misbehave and fight and be dysfunctional it's more just the parks and the, the space where they can run and the other thing is that most people actually don't have a very good recall with dogs and dogs you know so recall can be practiced there are obviously many many YouTube videos and uh, and and behaviors who teach that uh, just having good treats in the pocket and teaching puppies at home to come when they're when they are called is easy because when they're half a meter away and we call them and give them a treat that's where the brain starts kicking in and the pathways build up but when we go out and we try to call our dog when there is another dog there and maybe there is something in the bushes that they want to smell and there is so much distraction it's a really a uh, recipe for disaster because uh, many people start repeating their dog's name or the the recall and what happens when we repeat too much we get numb and immune to it right so our dogs don't almost hear it and i see that all the time and eventually it becomes dangerous the the next step is kind of what kind of restraint we use when we have them on the leash many people and i i stop people all the time in the park and i have this little spiel where i kind of praise them for you know having a beautiful dog and then i try to engage them in a conversation about the collar because i say hey did you know that i don't tell them i'm a vet but i tell them did you know that that the collar pushes on the thyroid gland right here and it's super important to protect it and if your dog pulls it may you know such a beautiful dog you don't want it to become sick so often people actually say oh i never knew that and that's something that is not taught in veterinary schools and it should be and then there are the next stages where people use the prawn collars or choke chains uh shock collars there are super important structures right here vagal nerve starts in the in the neck and it is, supplies the nerve flow or innervates the heart and the lungs and the digestive tract and all the other organs kidneys so when the vagal nerve gets um injured it can create a whole bunch of systemic conditions and people don't really realize that the collar is actually a cause of many health problems in dogs so I must say that I put a, a leash on the collar of my on packs once when I forgot the harness. Mm -hmm. And it was like we went to the restaurant and I put him on the collar and then I actually took the leash and I kind of like wound it around his body more than the neck. Because what if he wanted to say something to someone? So it kind of tells you how 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 important I consider this because I've seen so many dogs being damaged. And you know, it can be from ear and eye problems to uh lameness in the front legs because the nurse for the front leg also come to the to the front legs and feet uh to organ disease hypothyroidism all those are caused by the collar so i you know i i do my best to inform people and yeah 
people think that I'm a little crazy that I stop dog lovers on the on on the walk. But I I think that every time we do that, we actually make a difference. Now, when I come to Vancouver, where I worked and my other colleagues worked for a couple of decades, um, you don't almost don't see a dog on a collar. Yeah. And when I go on a on a dog one, I see that I go. I wonder whether we made a difference. I I don't know for sure, but but it makes me feel really good. Um, so, the color and uh, the intensity of the exercise. You know, puppies. Uh, puppies should play and and kind of go for easy walks until the age of six to seven, eight months, and maybe even beyond. So. Think about it this way. The growth plates are open uh, when they fall somewhere, or when they get stressed by too intense exercise. Let's say we're running in the park and, and retrieving a ball or a Frisbee. Uh, they can break their growth plates. They can they can cause serious damage. And also they can they can start having some other issues. Uh, my first dog, Sky, a Border Collie that was ball obsessed from very early age. And who guess whose fault it was? Um, he started having diarrhea at the age of three or four months and, uh, nothing worked. Absolutely nothing worked. I was absolutely terrified that we were going to lose him. And it went for weeks and weeks. And then I started to kind of look at some different Chinese medicine approaches and so on. And I realized that the energy pathways and nerve pathways come to the intestines, come from the lumbar area. Yeah. He Strained and strained his muscles and probably slipped and slid a few times. And it affected the, the function of the gut. So now part of the diarrhea protocol in my practice or in my writing is to actually look after the back or stop doing these exercises that are really intense and injurious. Not saying that dogs should never do it, but you know, some dogs do it for hours and hours a day. So I would just point out to people all Peter's links below because one of the things that I think you are so special is is you've raised that connection. Uh, Peter has got so many resources on his website. It's an absolute must for any dog parent or dog lover or dog professional. Um, so putting those connections and looking at the deeper links is so, so important because it can completely transform the health and happiness of your dog. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what it does as well? It empowers animal lovers and pet yeah. lovers. It empowers you to uh, understand. Like, I think that most of them, my ideal goal is that the veterinary clinics will be there for emergencies and yeah. for situations that basically cannot be solved easily at home. But in many of these conditions can be addressed through detox process, through providing the right nutrients, aligning the spine, making sure that the body is functional and strong, especially when as dogs get older. And then there's another kind of phase where we kind of help and support the energy energy metabolism and the repair functions in the body, which we could talk about as well. But, you know, I don't want to hack the conversation too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, you know, one of the things is we see a lot of people, they get a dog, they haven't really got the time to exercise them properly. And so they think 20 minutes throwing a ball or a frisbee in the park is a substitute for a really good long walk where the dog can move properly, sniff and smell, absolutely crucial. You know, it is it is not, and it's not a natural, it's not a, I mean, sorry, it is absolutely crucial. I, I was thinking about the ball throwing, that it's yes. not, not ideal. When <laughs> yeah. uh, I get excited about things, uh, this is what happens. Anyway, um, it is important to know that dogs need uh, to get as close to their natural mobility and natural exercise and activity. So they would run, maybe they would chase a squirrel and yeah. then they would rest or they would trot or they would walk and then they would sniff and so on and they would be alert again. They would run after something, but they're not going to do that for 20, 40 minutes at the time. Um, the other thing that happens with dogs that um, are obsessive uh, with, with balls and frisbees, uh, they have the same kind of sim symptoms as, as kids that, uh, that play a lot of computer games. Uh, they become very disconnected, very obsessed. But people think that they actually are calmer when they throw the ball for 20 minutes and 40 minutes. They become more hyper. Yeah. And often I have clients saying, you know, I've been exercising my dog so much and I can't really exercise them out of it. 
what I've seen is that some dogs really virtually almost die of exhaustion by, by doing these exercises or they burn out or they have severe injuries. Uh, so there is nothing that will replace a good play with buddies. Uh, there is nothing that can replace a walk on the trail in the park off leash or playing, even, you know, playing with our dogs. But there are also some rules about playing, how to play safely. If you play tug of war, you have to let the leash or the toy slide out of your hand. Because if you don't, you're much stronger. You can injure your dog neck, dog's yeah. neck. So um, it's, um, yeah, I have so I have many, many articles on how to play with dogs and, and, and how to exercise dogs safely. Uh, all that is on the website. And the website and the articles, they're kind of like a almost my release when I see how much needs to be done and sometimes feeling like I can't really, and my colleagues, we can't do the work only on our own. We need yeah. the other lovers and animal lovers to know and understand. So when I write, it's almost like a venting or release of that. Um, I'm just going to call it distress to see how much people love their, their animals and how many mistakes they, they make without knowing. And yeah. the most important part is to learn what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And sharing the information with each other is super important. And one thing I would say is, is that I encourage the people that I work with, even if they only can make time initially to go to your website and read one of the blogs or listen to one of the podcasts a week, everyone can make time to do that. And what I find, Peter is it takes so much stress off the pet parent as well. Because when you start to understand things better, you spend a lot less time worrying about what's wrong with your animal could do this, because suddenly these light bulbs go off and the right decisions or, or the best decisions for your animal. And and by the way, this all applies to ourselves. When, when you're learning about all this, you'll learn so much about how to keep yourself healthy as well. But what I love is that people initially, it can seem a bit overwhelming. We're going to come on to diet next. But once you start down that journey, I promise you, it takes so much stress off because you suddenly get that understanding and then you can make slight adjustments, which will take, have a huge impact on your dog and on yourself. Yeah, it's, uh, it is it is true. You know, learning and uh, learning is difficult. The, the early stages of learning is difficult. Like we all remember if we, you know, learning how to drive, right? Or riding yeah. a bike or learning how to swim or anything. It's it's really difficult. And then the brain starts building the connections and circuits and it just becomes easy. And and I, I agree 100%. Like people who have a few different tools in the toolbox are actually much more happy and confident the anxiety is reduced because you know when when your pup has a diarrhea and you know exactly what to do for most of the dogs because you know it usually stops after 24 48 72 hours if you know what to do and what to watch for and if you know when it's an emergency or when it can be dealt with at home and it's 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 really it's really good. It's really helpful I think for most most dog parents or how to treat a wound or uh, yeah what not to do how not to <laughs> make mistakes that we all make yeah so I think you know this all of these things these knowledge building just deepen your bond with your dog so so much more and it's a two-way thing and it and your dog will absolutely love you for it more so let's I know we could do a whole series of six podcasts on diet and nutrition but it's something we're both very very passionate about so what are some of the main mistakes that people make when they get a dog about diet and nutrition and what would be your key takeaway for people? Um, you know, I think that the key problem is that there is no human doctor I know that would say, in order to be healthy, you have to eat processed food. Mm. And in veterinary medicine, we have had uh, the unfortunate alliance with pet food companies. And I don't think that it was bad, uh, ill-intended. But we as veterinarians care about the animals and often we can't imagine that some other entities cannot care about them as much. So we've been brainwashed for generation now to feed kibble. And also uh, the cost of, let's say, fresh food and so on is, is sometimes high. But 
the first thing that I would recommend is if you can, if you're getting a dog, feed your dog homemade diet. Feed your dog diet of uh, meat, vegetables, raw bones, which will look after your dog's teeth and uh, some other table healthy table scraps and leftovers. Um, you know, the other thing is that pet food companies made us believe that dogs must not, absolutely must not eat salty food. And suddenly, you kind of, well, you look at it and you go, okay, so we give salt licks to animals and we eat salt and suddenly dogs are the only species that cannot have any salt. Like, what is that about? Not saying that we should give them French fries or, you know, on regular basis or some sort of junk food or chips. Uh, but there's a lot of, there's so many illogical myths and uh, ideas that were brought to us by pet food companies. I'm not sure whether you know that the first kibble maker was an electrician who basically yeah. some, uh, you know, some leftovers to scraps at the port. And, and he had a, the idea that, that he can make uh, dog cakes. And that was, I think it was Hill's company. Eventually it turned into Hill's company. So, yeah, um, I have a, you know, raw food is definitely a, a, my passion and cook food is also okay for dogs if people don't feel comfortable. Whenever we look at dogs, we have to think of what they would eat if they weren't with us. And they definitely would not be grazing in a field of wheat. They would not be eating hay. They would not be eating wood chips. They would not be eating any of that. And they would not be adding chemicals and preservatives. Uh, you know, there's 37,000 billion billion chemical reactions happening in the body every second, right? And once you start adding the different chemicals and preservatives and all that to the body, those reactions actually will become chaotic and, mm. and that's how disease starts. Beside efficiencies, I, I have this kind of strange analogy. I imagine that our health is like Jenga Tower, you yeah. know, the, the, the tower where you remove pieces and it topples down. Because if you add pieces, if you make it too tall or, or too bulky, it'll topple down. If you have pieces missing, it'll collapse as well. So, uh, you know, nutrition is super important, but there's also another problem uh, that food is not what it used to be. Uh, we have very severely disrupted the natural nutrient flow in nature because <laughs> if you look in Africa and Savannah, that's one of those places where it still works. Um, the animals graze and then the herbivores are eaten by the carnivores and they all go back to the ground and also the manure and, and feces yeah. and that. But if we transport tomatoes from Spain to the UK, for example, it's not gonna it's it's not gonna end up in the compost in the in in Spain or in the field. It's gonna end up sometimes in compost in the UK or in the garbage. So we put the most valuable resource in landfills. Yeah. So I have a composter, electric composter, and I put I put the food at least in a little pots or flowers or sometimes I, I take the, the compost and I, I put it in the garden somewhere because when this interruption disruption happens our food becomes very depleted and farmers don't have the resources to they don't have the resources to replace these nutrients and replenish them so that's how I came to um, formulating supplements and formulas because I started to see how much difference they make. And uh, I also knew that there was issue, an issue with uh, ingredient quality, with manufacturing. And, and so I just kind of happened to stumble. Well, I was asked to, to formulate one formula and then I suddenly realized that I have to do that. And it's actually one of the, one of the my, most mind-blowing and my opening experiences where, for example, I provide a mineral support, mineral supplements, how many problems and diseases disappear. I didn't know that it was possible to do it as simply through natural diet, through detoxing and providing omegas, minerals, amino acids, uh, fermented vitamins and probiotics. And you pretty much are set for preventing most of the health conditions and um, yeah, it's it's um, it's fascinating. Resources. Uh, resi there, there are many people who actually teach raw diet feeding. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some differences, but I would say, you know, someone like 
this philosophy another person likes this philosophy but but it is kind of like in the core in the center it, it they meet they all meet exactly suppose um i have created this recipe maker that people can use for free and they can create recipes because people wanted me to make recipes and i said i don't want to write recipe books for dogs i just don't want to why don't you just create the recipes for yourself and then you share it with others share them with others so so the recipe maker is really helpful because it talks about the different ingredients and what is good for dogs and what is not because people sometimes don't know can i feed my dog mushrooms can i feed my dog uh cabbage can i feed them carrots like most of the time when when i hear people people feed vegetables to their dogs they say yeah i feed my dog carrots but they don't really know that carrots don't digest as well in the digestive tract of a dog um that's can, what um, i do and spend your life studying poo <laughs> <That's> one of <laughs> my favorite things is is keeping an eye on all the animals poos yeah many a discussion has had in our household but no it's an important point and your recipe maker is amazing and what's even more amazing is it's free everyone Thank so you. no excuses you know, uh, the, the whole veterinary medical system or medical system in general, but veterinary medicine especially, is it's a it's a challenge to see it needing to be for profit because the government is obviously not going to sponsor it. Uh, but my idea was that I, you know, when I when I sold my practice, I I thought I need to create a system where we can give uh, help and, and medical advice to anyone who needs it without them paying for it. And so it took a little bit of uh, thinking and, and error and trial. And, and you know, the early years were really, really difficult. And then with the supplements that make a difference and at the same time, they basically support the, 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 the service that we provide to the, to the canine, to the dog lovers and, and beyond. So, yeah, it's, um, I think everything is possible, but I think that health as a, as a domain should be, should be as free as possible and that the information and that ideally even the knowledge um, should be for free. And that's maybe I'm an idealist, but I, I think that it could happen that we are more empowered and we don't need the services as much that become expensive, right? And I think it's absolutely, you are such a wonderful example, Peter, of when your intention and you're so on purpose with with your your sewn in alignment with who you are and what you want to do the fact that you've given up a very very successful veterinary practice to follow what what was personally so important to you and in that process you're helping so many people is really inspirational and at a time now where so many people are really re-examining where they are in their life and what they want to do. If, if anything that the last two and a half years has shown people is, is what they don't want in their lives. And, you know, this is why I think it's so, so important to see what you have done. I mean, I was reading, there's a fantastic podcast by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and he was talking about the core, um, the key core pillars of happiness and its contentment control and alignment knowing that the person you want to be and who you are are one of the same and mm -hmm. you know you epitomize that so much and and you have made it work so it, it may be your reflection but i will i will tell you that it wasn't as it wasn't as easy right it was it's more about finding finding the life is binary right like you always have to choose left or right when there is a river and uh, it's more about learning how to feel or sense that that something is true and right for us. So, you know, on, on the airplane, they say that we should put the mask on first and then then help others. And I think that uh, with me, I ended up burned out actually completely mm -hmm. because of the because of the, you know, the the long hours and um, and actually pay that hasn't sustained the holistic practice, you know, the 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 sales of drugs and pet food are actually crucial for the veterinary practice survival and yeah. i didn't do that so i was always um it was even though i was busy beyond belief and i was helping um i i wasn't able to create a model that was actually completely sustainable so at one point i actually well it was sustainable but it was a struggle right mm -hmm. so i thought okay how can i make more difference the same or more difference and uh and being able to spend some time with my mother and being mobile and, and doing that. So I started reading a lot of self-books. If there is one thing that I, self-help books, if there is one thing that I would recommend 
go through, buy an Audible account or some sort of similar account and listen to books when you're driving or read books if you prefer reading. But but there's such wealth of information. And, and through error, trial and error, I basically realized, number one, I want to do what I want what, what I've been doing because I, I love love the work. I love it, but I didn't like the format. Um, things that I had in my life on the list and the things that I didn't didn't have on my in my life I am wanted, like freedom and mobility and so on. And then started basically crossing the different things that I no longer could 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 manage, right? Yeah. And just okay, I can't do this, I can't do this, but I want to do this and I want to do this. And as he said, and I really love what he said, it's um, it's really listening to our soul. It's really listening about whether something feels true or not. And and you know, I think that so many so many people make decisions on the basis of what others think or what what, what others want, as opposed to as opposed to what they really feel inside. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I have a male partner, I'm in a same-sex same relationship. And I I remember my dad, when I came out, he says, you haven't chosen an easy life for yourself. And I said, how do you know? Mm. And you know, so it's just like, yeah, we just have to really live true life. Yeah. That'd be the, the official one and the other one. Uh, it just doesn't work. Like we we know so many examples in history and even in, in current times, like that where people just it, it's like a dam that cannot be stopped, right? Like it eventually will show up in uh in a disaster life or drugs or some sort of mental disease or whatever else it is. So yeah, it's uh it's interesting. And it, it's it's constant learning, it's not easy, you know. We live among other humans, right? So it's yes, not, and they've, they've been traumatized and they have their ideas and you know and friendships and relationships and oh my goodness. Yeah. So it, it's we can only learn about ourselves and self-help books. And there are so many podcasts and authors and 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 people who really have amazing insights. And the other beautiful part is that they don't say that they're perfect and they're really vulnerable and yeah. and and humble. And, you know, yeah, there's so much to think about. <laughs> so much to think about. And and I think, you know, this brings us back to the fact of, of what our dogs can teach us, because the dogs are so authentically themselves when we allow them to be, because obviously it can be quite challenging for dog, for any species that's got um, so much in intact still with their natural instincts and with big, big hearts. I mean, anyone who studied the work of heart mass and sees just how much um, electromagnetic um, frequency comes off a dog's heart is really just fascinating to watch. So let me ask you, um, because there's so much we could talk about, and I'm so hoping I can persuade you to come back, but what are the three biggest lessons that you have personally learned from sharing your life with your dogs it starts with being yourself have your heart open and forgive and and there i could find many others but those those came right so i just oh that's beautiful absolutely beautiful and and you know we, there's so much on on peter's side on my sites about how we can really go into the nitty gritty you know we haven't even got on to the chemicals the vaccinations the flea meds um peter has got some amazing information on that i've got a lot of information on that on my vibrant animal team playlist but the important thing is is what you've just said there i think the forgiveness really um stands out for me so much peter because our dogs are the ultimate examples in how to forgive from a real soul place and a real place of the heart. And, and if we can connect with them on that level and and really learn from on that, the, the whole world will shift in front of us. 
Absolutely. I, you know, and I think that the basis of all this, I think the basis of all suffering, unless there is some sort of brain dysfunction and disease in some individuals, and we could name a few, um, I think it's fear, actually. Yeah. It's fear. I think that fear basically, fear breeds the the distrust, the, the close heart, the, the all the problems that we deal with actually are fear-based unless there is some sort of, you know, biochemical neurological dysfunction, which can happen, right? Some, some people may be, may have, may be lame. Others may have a kidney disease and some people may have a disease of brain. So it does happen. But I would say that, you know, if we were unafraid and if we were able to just sit down and talk, I think that the world would be so much better. Uh, And dogs are, I'm not sure how you feel, but I, I, we're probably similar. We kind of are similar in many ways. Um, they're conduits of of the love. They're conduits of of the understanding. I think that they truly can change the world, and that's why I get so sad and kind of upset when I see certain people just not liking dogs and they don't know how amazing they are. Um, and maybe they've had a negative experience with those dogs who have were not fortunate and they're aggressive or they have behavioral issues. But dogs as a as a species, I, I believe that they've come to save us in many ways. Yeah. How do you feel? I 100% with you. I think, you know, it's such a gift. And my passion, and I know you share this passion deeply, is to make sure that gift is very two-way because I I... I think it's absolutely imperative when when we both get as much what we're aiming for when you're sharing your life with any animal but today we're talking about dogs is that both sides of the relationship get just as much out of it as the other and and my wish to all the humans watching this I'm sure there'll be a few dogs listening in as well mm-hmm. is that every day my favorite t-shirt I normally wear Peter is be the person your dog thinks you are <laughs> and I love wearing wearing clothes that you know um embody the intention that I'm putting out into the world today. And I think just ask, just ask, watch, tune in with your dogs. Let's see what they're telling you. Because the biggest thing gift I think they give to us is that always have got our best interest at heart. So yeah. they're gonna help us leave the most healthy happy fulfilling lives and when we're in that space then we're in a place where we can make better decisions for ourselves and for any whether it's two-legged four-legged winged scaled you know um creatures that we're sharing our lives with that's beautiful i agree 100 100 percent <laughs> now, Peter, one of the things I really want to leave people with is um, your supplements are just absolutely wonderful. You've done a brilliant um, podcast video. Um, you can tell us where it is on on your your natural flea and tick um, treatments, which is fantastic. So I'll put the link to that under the the podcast because that's a must for any dog listener. But where, what countries are you able to ship your products to? Well. Um... Right now, currently, uh, most countries, the products can be shipped to most countries. We've been working on the United Kingdom uh, process and COVID has stalled everything. So we're just going, we're actually getting back to the to the process and, and trying to see how we can get it to the UK as, as much as we can. You know, I'm always very humbled. And, uh, you know, when people talk positively about our products and I, I'd say, I, I, and I don't like talking about them, even though I know it's a disservice to some of the uh, dogs and also people because we have a dog line and human line now. But um, yeah, read the reviews and testimonials uh, on my website. uh, See what others others think. And if you have any questions, you can always email us. Um, You can get the products in the UK, but it'll still go through the customs. Um, Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, People can sometimes... You know, the UK is actually a very unique place. Um, I have many of my former clients when I was practicing even long distance and consulting. Many of my former clients are there. And I think that the the tradition of looking after pets and, and, and being amazing pet lovers and caring for the animals is 
greater than almost anywhere I've been. Um, and I'm going to do my best to actually make it available as, as soon as I can. And um, yeah, I, I would like to thank everyone for being such good, good animal lovers and, and, and people who care and, and uh, understand. Because those who don't understand and those who think they don't like animals or dogs, horses or cats, they just don't know they love them. Yeah. They just don't know they love them. Absolutely. I cannot tell you how much I've loved that conversation today. And I know our listeners will as well. I will make sure I keep all our listeners up to date about, um, you know, where and when they can get your products, connect with you. All your links will be below. And I would say Peter's team as well are really, really efficient and really, really helpful. So if it's not obvious when you go on the website for the supplements, because the supplements are an absolute must for the dog lovers and also you've got a human range. And what I really, really love is I love your natural flea and tick prevention um, products as well. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out with the contact us form to Peter's team and they should be able to help you. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we say goodbye? And I'm really, really hoping I can persuade you to come back. You know, I always try to listen to what comes before I see something. And the first thing that came was give your dogs and other animals a hug for me. And they need it and we need it too. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me here, Catherine. It's been an absolute pleasure and I, I hope we'll be in touch. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I hope there's at least one thing that you can take away and apply to your own life or to the lives of your animals. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you feel inspired, please do share with your friends and family. My goal is to inspire as many people as I can to live their best lives, to stay curious and to raise their consciousness and that of the collective. So to do this, I need to reach as many people as possible and this needs your help. If you feel drawn, would you be willing to share your favourite episode with five different people this helps us spread the word and also helps me encourage some exciting new guests to take part in this podcast. If you feel drawn to do that, I will be very, very grateful. All the links and discount codes where applicable for all the products that I support are on my two websites, katherineedwards.life and katherineedwardsacademy.com. All of the products are personally tried and tested by me my family and my clients. And finally, please do press the follow or subscribe button, depending which platform you're listening on. And above all, stay curious and stay free.